Mormons do believe there is a heavenly mother. They do believe that that God has a wife. Really? But, mm-hmm. I hadn't heard that one. But she it's is not the never Holy mentioned. No, no, that's 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 the Holy Ghost. There is a heavenly mother, but she is never mentioned in any scripture. She really plays no role in creation or in anything. Just like women in the church. It's great. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> no, really. Like I I grew up learning that like, oh, like Heavenly Father didn't want Heavenly Mother's name to be taken in vain. He doesn't want her to be involved for her protection. And I remember being like, well, Heavenly Father is such a good husband. Like, that is so nice. And now I'm like, no, really, she is the allegory for women in the church. Welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And how's your week, Casey? Uh, I was a little. It was a weird week. I'm glad it's. I'm glad the work part's over. I'll yeah. Say that. <laughs> and <laughs> when we're recording this, it is a three day weekend. Actually, this one will be coming out on Tuesday, which will be the end of a long weekend. And those are always very, very sad. Um, I'm so excited to to just like have three days to just goof around with projects and hike and fish. And yeah. Just, you know, turn my brain off in general. We have our um, town fair uh, going on right now. It's always Labor Day weekend every, well, it wasn't last year. Um, so we took the kids to that and it was cool. Like, so the fair technically goes from like Friday through Sunday and or maybe through Monday, because obviously long weekend. Um, but Thursday night, they open like half of the fair, just the rides. And you can just get like, a, like you pay like 20 or 25 bucks for a wristband. And then from five to close, you can just ride all the rides. So you just keep getting on. So we, we'll, we do that with the kids. Um, we're going back to the fair today to see the rest of it, because they always bring in the animals. Last year they had like, or two years ago, they had like, grizzly bears there and they were you could sit in grizzly bears yeah they were so they were like funny they're like i don't know it's funny to watch bears do stuff because they're when you watch animals interact with each other especially ones that can like i don't know they can stand up and walk and they like you just watch them and you go it's weird when you see like human like mannerisms or characteristics in animals right like when you watch monkeys specifically is when you'll see that the most you're like god damn these are basically people (laughs) it's like it's so strange but when you watch them play and wrestle, it's almost you're like kind of looks like just cats or dogs playing. And uh, yeah, but, you know, Dude. if you were in there, they just like they like hitting each other with their bear paws and shit. And if you were in there, they would do that. And your face would be gone. Like <laughs> <laughs> bears are inherently they're over the top guy. Yeah, like, <laughs> you're just palling around and then all of a sudden your arms off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Bears are my fate. I think bears are my favorite animal. And I follow like. 10 or 12 different like bears of Instagram type pages (laughs) because they just crack me up. They're just kind of like big, hairy, doughy people. (laughs) So you feel, um, you feel like kindred spirits with them. Yeah. We have a kinship, me and bears, you know, I feel like people 
when are you going to get your first bear tattoo? Because I feel like that's something you have to do when you have a favorite animal is just get a tattoo of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't have any tattoos and like all of the ideas I've ever had that I thought, well, this will never change. I'll definitely be okay getting this. Yeah, I, I'm glad I never got any of those now because I definitely have like Christian tattoos. On oh, me. yeah. I, I was going to get like an arc of the... I, okay, my idea in college that I wanted to get was like have a uh, like a shoulder slash like quarter sleeve or half sleeve deal that looked like a stained glass window. And it was like the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels like touching wings. Yeah, just the tips which, of their wings. Exactly, yeah. It wouldn't have been the worst, but I'm glad it's not here. It's like a t-shirt yeah. you can never take off. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if I mean, stained glass just would look cool anyway. You wouldn't have to get too much into it. Uh, I definitely had some terrible, like, I was. I mean, I never really settled on one, but I was constantly trying to think of good, like, Christian concepts for tattoos, like metaphor. Oh, this is, this could be a tattoo for a metaphor for this. And you just make the art look cool. And then you get to explain to people. It's a witnessing tool, really. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, it makes you shudder even thinking about that. Dude, I, who, who got a tattoo? Like, think back to back in the day. Who had a tattoo and what did they get where you were like, oh, man, that's so cool. Um. I mean, I, I don't know if he wants to be, I don't think he'd care if he was outed, but I won't out him on this. Um, if you ever go to the beach or a pool with him, you'll see it. He got it. He, he started working on a like full back piece Star Wars tattoo. Yes, you know. I know this yeah. friend. <laughs> but he, it still hasn't <laughs> been finished. So it's just like, like one of the characters is filled in. It's been like unfinished for probably 10 years or something like that. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, uh was a big undertaking and uh i don't i think honestly he because he still gets tattoos and stuff he, he just never found it like the artist who was working on it moved and he never found like the right person to finish it because he was like i want a legit star wars fan um the guy who was working on it was such a star wars fan it was like meaningful to him he, he wanted to do it to add that to like his portfolio kind of thing yeah. Um, so if you're just paying straight out like regular value cash value for a tattoo, like it, it'll just be a shitload of money. So he's really looking for someone who wanted to finish it where they could kind of be like, I don't know, mutually beneficial. Right. Person gets to work on a dope ass Star Wars tattoo. And but since someone else already started it, that's kind of weird. So I don't know. It just kind of got stuck in limbo. I know he wants to finish it, but uh, I, I just that's what I'm like afraid of with tattoos. It's like, I want this and then I'll just finish it. I won't like it. It'll get like halfway done. And I'll run out of money and never go back to get it worked on. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't think I'm a tattoo guy, even though I always thought it'd be fun to be. I like some of them. Yeah. Like it really depends for me, but I, yeah, I, I remember his particular star Wars tattoo being pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, sick. A full body Jar Jar Binks was kind of a weird choice, but with his dick yeah. in his hand, I don't know. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was the weird part. I was just like, I don't, I don't think people needed to see what Jar Jar's penis looked like, but it looks whatever you think Jar Jar's penis looks like looks exactly like that. So yeah, yeah. Actually, I've seen uh, dildos that 
and you can buy one that that could be a perfect representation. Have you ever seen <laughs> this is getting passed around a few years back, but uh, there's this, there's like this whole like world of weird dildos out there. Okay. <laughs> and you know everything from like animal shapes which is pretty disturbing to like these crazy like there's one that a lot of the like uh cosplay people who do, you know, more like lewd or uh adult oriented content and stuff. There's this company that I've seen several of them talk about called Bad Dragon. And they make ones that they're kind of like you ever go into a like a truck stop and amid like the snacks and the snarky t-shirts and stuff they always have a section that's like a whole bunch of fairy and dragon statues yeah i kind of know what you're talking about i feel like maybe uh maybe i don't i'm thinking of something you might see like a spencer's gifts or some hot topic or some shit like that well it's kind of like that it's like something stuff you would find in like that the weird like uh asian store in the mall that sells swords and and throwing stars okay. but <laughs> only white people work there <laughs> and it oh, always like, smells like incense coated in gasoline <laughs> but yeah bad dragon they got all these different ones that look like fantasy creatures and whatnot and uh you can get real creative with it there's even some they look like an alien thing and you can make these little gelatin eggs and then when you put it in you oh like squeeze it, it oh my it, god it lays eggs in your in your wherever you can put it wherever you want. <laughs> it's like corn in that way. <laughs> I don't even. I don't understand the mindset behind these. Like, who you create it and then you're like, yeah, you know, I always had this sexual fantasy of recreating the scene from Alien, but I never have been able to effectively. So that person grew up and got into. Dildo marketing. <laughs> well, very, very successful. So that's cool. I would venture, and I don't want to pigeonhole anybody mm -hmm. or dragon hole, but yeah. I would venture to say that anybody that has a, a fantasy inspired dildo, 10 out of 10, probably an anime fan. Oh, yeah. Or hentai, I guess this would be the hentai, definitely. correct thing. Like, was it one of the things um, that was big in hentai? I don't know if it was. I just, I don't know if it was a while back. Maybe it's still proliferating hentai. It's like, um, like squids or octopuses. Tentacles. Going, yeah. Tentacle porn. That's right. It's tentacle porn. Yeah. And I guess I still that hear came that talked from, about quite a bit. Yeah. I guess that came from there being laws against having, I don't know, regular animated porn at one point. So you it's would like just you, like, you got to blur out, couldn't show dongs, a, but yeah, you, you can show, show a tentacle. Dongs. Yeah, so they would just do tentacles and stuff like that. I don't know. Look, all that shows is that when you try to censor things, it gets even weirder. <laughs> you know what I love? What I love about stuff like this is that it just is another example reaffirms the idea that like if you're passionate about something, you can make money on it on the internet. Oh, Somebody yeah. somewhere will pay you for what you're uh, putting out. I mean, most of the time. What uh, what rides at the fair did you like? <laughs> that, that's my family friendly fair experience. Uh, no, uh, before we even uh, pivot, 
I want to say I like the idea of like 60 year old legislators sitting down writing legislation about like where the line is on porn. I think that sounds funny to me. <laughs> it's like they're they're debating oh, yeah. this in the halls and they're like, how about okay, fine. You can have it, but you just have to blur out you have to blur out this. Can you show pubes? No, you absolutely can't show pubes. But what about stomach hair? Stomach hair is fine, but where's the line? Well, okay. So if it's two inches above the penis, you have to blur that. But everything else is fine. <laughs> like, and they're just gonna go back and forth on like where the line is. I think just like sounds, a bunch like of uh, what are the chances that all of those legislators are youth pastors? Yeah, <laughs> they spend their weekends telling people not to jack off. Oh, we want to. Um, while we're talking about legislators, do you want to make a hard transition? Oh, let's do it. Okay. Uh, speaking of legislation and legislating what people can and can't do, something pretty neat happened in Texas this week, right? Yeah, sure. Neat. <laughs> God, it's it's truly insane. Uh, Texas is one of the weirdest places in the country. It feels like an anomaly. Texas and Florida. Florida gives Texas. I had I got in this debate, not debate, conversation, argument about. Um, whether or not you'd rather live in Texas or Florida. Um, because I'm not a woman, I personally picked Texas uh, because I feel like the <laughs> cities are cooler. I feel like Florida is just like their legislation sucks, but all around Florida, like the quality of people just seems terrible. Sorry for anyone who lives in Florida that listens. Yeah, sorry, Motark. But, <laughs> but Texas, it, it seems like they have some, people that I would not be interested in. But when you get into like cities, I don't know. It seems like it's up and coming. Austin, people love the shit out of Austin, right? Austin's great. But uh, anyway, back to the legislation aspect of it. So, uh, <coughs> whoa. For anyone who hasn't been following the news, but I'm sure everyone has, uh, because that's all anyone can really talk about right now, is that Texas passed some legislation that essentially prevents abortions from happening after... Okay, and the funny thing about this too is it's not even like a definitive line. It's like after uh about six weeks, after you would detect uh like a heartbeat. Uh, once the heart starts working, is when you can't have an abortion anymore. Uh, it is interesting that it's about six weeks because I guess it could be five, it could be seven. So I don't really know how you. I don't really know how you enforce that anyway. And let's just say I'm I think it's really sad to see these conservatives like uh, just go back on their principle that they they capitulated because, you know, I thought life began at conception. Yeah, right. Uh, so and it, it's funny because, you know, what the what's going on in their heads is it does. Uh, but, you know, if you ban abortions at six weeks, then you'll just save more lives. So even though you're still I'm sure the Lord will understand. Yeah. But they, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of like all like, this has been a zero sum game for a while, right? Like there wasn't yeah. that long ago that there was some, I don't know, a, a legislation that floated up to the top that would have been beneficial, right? It was a bipartisan agreement and it was essentially aimed at reducing the need for abortions and, um, and the circumstances by which someone might need to get one to to alleviate some of the maybe those types of pressures that would have resulted in them. So but that the legislation got trashed because 
a zero sum game problem of everyone not wanting to look like they're trying to, Oh, I, I can't look like we're willing to meet in the middle on something like this. So it just, you know, gets trashed. And now they're in Texas. They're like, well, you know, we'll just do six weeks. Um, given the way that they wrote the law, maybe that's the only way it would get passed. I'm not entirely sure why that six weeks mattered. Maybe if the heartbeat's maybe, always been a, a, a marker yeah. for them. Uh, but that is, uh, you know, as, has been written about uh, before most people would even know that they're pregnant. Um, it seems like unless you're actively trying to have a kid and you're like checking regularly, like those people find out earlier, so, but you know, those aren't the ones getting abortions who are actively trying to have children. So I don't know. This is strange um, because this, you know, the Supreme court chose to not sign anything. They didn't really make a ruling either way and despite their previous precedent that you can't ban abortions prior to 22 or 24 22 to 24 weeks um basically after fetal viability is what the it is right now so um at about 22 to 24 weeks if if a fetus was born um it would likely survive in uh, in the ICU infant ICU or whatever. Uh so I I don't know. I I don't feel like there's a lot to contribute to the conversation on this other than this is just a st- right. just Texas is generally a backward state, right? At the same time that they put this law out uh, that they changed the legislation on abortions, they also are really excited about uh, the other legislation they passed, which is as long as you have a gun license, you can open carry, no training required. Just you have a license, just go pick up a gun, walk around with it, do whatever you want, brandish it around like a psychopath. Maybe I didn't look at that. this one. I didn't look into the details of this one, but I f- my, pretty the, straightforward. From what I heard of yeah. it, is like you, as long as you're of age, you can carry, you can open carry. Yeah. Which well, kind and of you need to have the laws license. that we have here. Like oh, yeah. here, as long as you're legally able to own a gun, you can open or conceal carry after the age of 21. That is so weird to me. I hate that so much. I don't want to watch some fucking asshole walk around a Walmart with a side piece on the side. Like, well, and that's why? the thing is like, nobody does. Like when yeah. you see someone open carrying who is not law enforcement, like you can look at the person and see that this is just like an extension of their identity. Yeah, like this is this is like, uh, you know, if it was a 2002, that gun's the equivalent of like wearing Jenko's. Yeah, <laughs> like just publicly stating for everyone that like, I'm a gun, dude. This is what I like. This is what I value. It's like it's like putting a bumper sticker on your face. And, and they usually like you'll see them here. Like, again, we, we have very few rules here about carrying and stuff, mm-hmm. but like when you see the guy that's open carrying and is not law enforcement, he's such a ridiculous person. Most of the time, like he's got three extra clips on his belt. Sometimes he'll have like a big knife. Like they have like this Batman utility belt sometimes (laughs) where it's like my tactical flashlight. Check this out. This is my tactical pen from blah, blah, blah. Got my, uh, uh, black rifle coffee company creamer and Keurig cup holder on my belt like it's just 
it's such they're a always ready for civil war to break out around them. Yeah, and like there's still like they still have to respect businesses' rulings on it, and like ninety percent of businesses, especially if they're like a chain company or some you know a bigger organization, have yeah. signs posted that says, "Hey, no firearms allowed." Yeah, especially if you're like a restaurant or something, and everyone walks in with a gun and they're on their hip. And then they just get like drunk at a bar. Like that's the last place on earth you want people carrying weapons is like 10 p.m. at a bar. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, and those, <laughs> those are always on the list of things that you can't do. Like you can't do carry in a place where they serve alcohol or, yeah. you know, uh, public public buildings and stuff. But anyways, yeah. So this whole abortion thing, mm-hmm. it's such a... I mean, my entire life, this has been a huge part of the public conversation. It's always like on the conservative radar as something that they're pushing for and striving for and stuff. And I think what's what's especially annoying about this issue is that like we just I know where they're coming from and I know that we have no common ground. Like there's no common ground to talk about yep. and to debate over. It's like you said, it's a zero sum game, you know, because even like when talking about uh, the right of a person to control their own body and make decisions about their own body and stuff, it it always goes back to like, well, that's a person in your womb. It doesn't matter. It's from a from conception forward. It's a person. And that person has inalienable rights, just like the mother. And, right. know, and that's why this is murder. And so there's just nothing... There's just no middle ground to talk about. And like the partisanship of these rulings is what's so just exhausting about how this issue is like talked about and stuff, because I don't care what your stance is. Like if you're a a reasonable person, a reasonable person who's pro-life, can we at least agree that if someone is is raped or molested or it's a product of incest or something like you can think what you want morally about whether or not that's a good idea to have an abortion at that. But can't we just leave that decision in the hands of the victim? And I, dude, I remember thinking, I remember a time in my life where I would think, no, you can't like put your kid up for adoption. I, I would, I would had all these, like the typical response, right? What's everybody obviously talks about ad- adoption about and nobody has adopted a kid. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I was going to get. It's like, Oh yeah, let me just go ahead and put this kid up for adoption and then we'll just see what, but also then you do have to carry to, to like, a, you have to, there's plenty of things that can one go wrong with a pregnancy Two, especially if you were raped and you have to carry to term uh, a child for nine months that you don't want. I don't know. I should say a fetus. I don't, I, I think what's, also difficult about this conversation when you're talking about the lack of common ground it's like this this new legislation is saying that something magic happens when the heart starts beating now now we can at least say that it's a a a life it's a person um but these everyone is trying to make this like scientific argument for why now this is the line. We know at this point that it becomes life, but this isn't a scientific conversation at all. It's a completely philosophical one on when like 
and it comes down to even like when does when as as a country as a constant with our constitution like you could even just say when does a person get rights like at what point do you even have human rights um human rights are entirely a philosophical conversation i mean moral too but you're i mean it's moral philosophy at that point like you're just like trying to figure out how to define when something counts as a person uh so like at conception it i mean or at implantation right the egg implants well women lose those all the time like the amount of pregnancies that don't come to term after an egg gets fertilized and implanted like we all know that like these lives are lost daily without anybody knowing at all ever uh, when you have your period like any you would lose you could potentially lose what conservative evangelicals have deemed life. So I don't, I don't, it's just trying to draw the line at, at where uh, you become a individual with, with rights. Uh, then you have to take into account what you feel about the concept of a soul. You have to take into account, there's just so much to take into account that like trying to like there is, but there, but there, so that's where the, there is no common ground. Like if I'm talking to a conservative evangelical who has this hardline stance on abortion, because this is life that God created, there's a soul in there. It's like, you don't know that those are presuppositions that you're bringing to the table that I don't agree with. So should your so that's now you're just coming now we're just legislating beliefs we're legislating personal morality onto everybody else and i'm not saying this isn't a conversation that needs to be had and that there isn't a serious conversation about um when you shouldn't be able to have an abortion anymore like when you're looking at 20 to 24 weeks and you're looking at fetal viability and you're looking at even past that if you were going to have that conversation um like you do have to come up with because oh, what are you talking about brain activity? Well, you know, you're there are people who lose brain activity. So then are you know are are you basing personhood on brain activity? And is someone who has severe mental disabilities considered less of a person based on that? State? Like there's so much to consider when you're even having the conversation around abortion, but it's hard to bring to the table and then legislate for the country that it starts when you say it does because of your innate belief in the way that God puts a soul into a body. When there's one, nothing in your religious text about that two, no real reason to believe that other than that's just how you feel. Like I don't, so where do you go from there? Like, the, and these are the people who get to make these, these rules and laws. Right. It's so weird. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's how many of these legislators that support this stuff actually have deep held convictions about these things? How many of them are just looking for that, you know, focus on the family endorsement when yeah. the next midterm okay, election morning. rolls around and they have to roll, you know, run against some QAnon lunatic, you know? Yeah. And they can just wave, oh, I signed into law this. And then they, their base is like, let's vote this guy in again. Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing that, that always just drives me nuts about any of these conversations, whether we're talking about like 
abortion or guns or any of the hotly contested issues, mm-hmm. you know, is I feel like legislation, people push for legislation when they don't, they know they don't have public support for their viewpoint. And like, which has also been good in history too, like civil rights and shit like that. Like we sure. can see it play out good. We can see it play out bad, but you're right. Yeah, that is absolutely. what you do with legislation. But, you know, I mean, this issue always comes down to legislation when in fact, like, I mean, I get, I know a lot of people who are pro-life and who are passionate about it. And I mean, they just fundamentally see this issue different than we do, but yeah, think what you want, make a case for what you think, go out and evangelize your ideas about life and, and conception, all of that kind of stuff, you know, make that case on an individual basis to the people that you're want, that you're, you know, hoping to reach. But like, we turn to legislation when you feel like you can't make that case to people. So you have to force it on them. You have to control yep. them because your viewpoint is not going to be accepted. And so, you know, we need to, we need to enact some sort of legislation that enforces my viewpoint on this vast majority of people who don't agree with it. Yeah. And And despite the fact that history and stats and data shows us pretty clearly that the stricter your abortion laws, the, like the, the abortion rate goes down when you address certain specific needs and the reasons that people get abortion. Um, they don't fight for that legislation. Uh, we've seen that abortion, the, the number of abortions don't decrease based on uh, the legality of it, uh, the consequences of it. Just So it just creates an environment where you need to, I don't know, do it in an unsafe way. Uh, and like, but so their concern is the, is, Oh, let's just make this a law. And maybe that comes with the quote unquote conservative values, right? Maybe they think because it's a law that that's, what's going to change things like, Oh, well you can't do it anymore because what they're law abiding citizens who aren't going to break the law. Maybe that's their headspace. It's like, well, if it's against the law, I guess people won't do it anymore. But I mean, they're ignoring the stats and evidence that suggest otherwise. And I'm not sure why. Uh, And it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like their agenda is saving these quote unquote lives that they believe are. It's about something different. It's, I don't, I don't, if it's not going to change, if the law doesn't change the reality and the reality is that they believe a, a human life is being snuffed out in the womb, then should that should be their priority and they should be doing everything they can to work towards solving that problem. So I don't, I, that's where I, they lose yeah. me is like, they're just creating a utopia in their minds because they live in a world where people follow the rules and they're unaffected by the ones who don't. So as long as they can have the quote unquote right rules on the books, they get to pretend like everything's great and moving in the right direction, even if the world's burning down around them and they just can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's always like the, the legal loopholes that they jump through to justify the legislation that they're pushing for always comes down to like, this is a matter of life and death. We need to pull out all the stops. We have to do what we can to save these lives. Mm -hmm. Give me a break. Because we all know that like, if your real concern was to reduce the number of abortions or make it easier for, for people who, who don't want to be pregnant to avoid being in that situation and stuff, we should be airdropping birth control Right. From everywhere. Like it should be freely available. 
Like that's a good one. Yeah. Like, I bet I, Texas I mean, has education. one of the worst sexual educations in the country. <laughs> oh, it's so stupid. But but that comes down to another like that's why this all comes down to ideological nonsense. We can't have actual sex education in schools because we have to you know we have to make sure that kids get an abstinence only education. It's the only right way to teach this. Now, I, where did your concern about abortions and teen pregnancy and all that stuff go when it came to that? It's this is more important to you. It's more important for you to enforce this ideological nonsense that you think the, yeah. your way of looking at the world rather than to do the things, the practical things that would actually help you get to where you want to be with abortions and stuff. You know, we can't provide birth control for people because that's somehow encouraging premarital sex. And the only right way to live is to avoid sex until you're ready. You're married and ready to have a kid. It's just, it's, it's just like in the Bible. And it's the same I mean, you know, like I've talked about on here before, like I was a big conservative talk radio guy for a long time after college, you know, when I was still figuring out who I was and where I was at on all this stuff. And and it's the the rallying cry of this crowd is always like small government, personal responsibility, you know, keep your government out of my life, keep your your fingers out of my tax dollars, all of this stuff, you know, but it always comes down to the same thing. When you're, you're all about small government and reducing government interference and stuff like that until it's a thing that you want, that you can't convince other people to believe the same thing. And then you're all for like, get as invasive as you need to be. I mean, whether it's drug laws or abortion laws or, you know, same sex marriage, all of this kind of stuff. It's like, well, I'm I'm fine with government enforcing a viewpoint in those regards. And, you know, we didn't even talk about the fact that, like, the way that this law is set up, and, and this is a little out of my depth, but it's basically leaving the enforcement of these, of this legislation on the court system. It's all going to be dependent on private individuals and organizations yep. and stuff like that bringing legislation against abortion providers for and they can hold just staff accountable. like if you give someone a ride if you give somebody a ride to an abortion clinic and you find out who that was you can you can take them to court you can file a lawsuit against them yeah which is so ridiculous i mean it's such a dumb way of getting what you want i mean and that's why this is all still here why that why we're not talking about how this was struck down is because they found this little legal loophole that they're going to exploit, which is the most short-sighted thing. If you're if you're a person who's interested in, you know, what's the other, like you talked about guns, you know, if you're a person who's like trying to protect gun rights in a state like California or New York, which is, you know, pretty adamantly wants to restrict gun access and all these things, like what's to stop them from using this precedent to do the exact same things to firearms owners and dealers and things like that in the States where you're so worried about those issues. Right. And Oh man, they'll cry and whine and make a big (laughs) stink. It's just like when, you know, uh, Obama at the end of his term made that Supreme court nomination. And it was like, 
oh, he's already leaving office. There's no way this is disgusting. It shouldn't be allowed. And then sure enough, you know, Trump's in office. He's coming to the end of his term and he's just throwing appointees up. To, it's all yeah. fine when it's your guy. You're like, well, we're all, it's because Obama did it first. That's why it's like, that's not why. Like you've changed your tone. You've changed what you think is acceptable. You've ex- You've even tried explaining why you think it's different. And it's like, it's wild. It's just, it's such a wildly divide. And I shouldn't say divisive time as though this hasn't been issues before. Apparently this, I, apparently the whole Supreme court nominees on presidents leaving office has been a hot button issue previously in this I'm country sure. too, before we were ever paying attention to politics. So that hasn't changed much, but it's just yeah, the, it's, 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 it's the wild. hypocrisy. Yeah. The continual hypocrisy shown by, by both sides, but it's really annoying coming from the right who supposedly has this reverence for the constitution and our way of government and all right. of this stuff. And every time it goes out the window, the minute there's something on the table that they want. Yep. 100%. Anywho. Well, <laughs> glad we solved that problem. Uh, our guest coming up is Sharice. Uh, you might better know her as the existential ginger on Instagram. Uh, she's on Twitter. And uh, it's also the name of her podcast. She was a lot of fun. She was a great guest. She, we were excited to talk to her because we, you know, we talked to Brad Harker before and he was a Mormon, but we didn't really talk a lot about Mormonism. Um, But Sharice grew up heavily invested in the Mormon church. And she was like Casey and I, in a lot of ways where she stuck with it into her mid twenties, even her late twenties. So we have a lot of similar experiences and what it was like leaving the fundamentalist backgrounds that we came from. Uh, and she just has a, I don't know, uh, she has a great personality about it. And it was just, a, it was a lot of fun talking to her. Yeah. Yeah. We loved having her on, um, plan on talking to her some more in the future. Uh, you should definitely check out her podcast, the existential ginger. I think it's available wherever podcasts are found. Follow her on Instagram at the existential ginger. She just got a lot of funny, funny stuff that she posts and, uh, you know, really relevant and timely things. And uh, again, as always, if you're not a part of the discord, jump on over to one of our social media pages, find the link there, join up, join the conversation. Um, And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would really appreciate it. If you would stop by iTunes and leave us a review and, you know, Send it to one of your uh, angry apostate friends. <laughs> and if you want, you can also shoot it. We haven't thrown our email out there in a little while. Um, kind of forget to do that sometimes. But if you have some wild stories or anything, um, not that you can't send it to us on Messenger or whatever, uh, but you can shoot us an email at gucpodcast at gmail.com if you uh, have maybe a longer story. That's pretty wild that you want to share with us. Um, be fun to put some of those out there. If you, uh, if you so choose to share with us. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by and enjoy our conversation with Sharice, the existential ginger. And we're back with our new friend Sharice, or you might know her as the existential ginger. How are you doing, Therese? Hey, I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Doing great. 
<laughs> I gotta ask how you landed on the uh, the existential ginger. I thought ginger was a very inappropriate. I think that it might be. So maybe I'm just trying to push back on that a little bit. I don't know. Only you can use that word is what you're saying. You're like yeah. a stubborn football team just refuses. To- <laughs> yeah. Well, I I used to hate my red hair. Like, I feel like I got made fun of when I was little. And now all of a sudden being a redhead is like super cool. So I'm just like, hey, OK, well, I'm going to embrace this term then. And then really the only uh, the only word I can think of to describe like the past four years of my life is an existential crisis. There was just so many different elements involved. So it just, it just fit. Yeah. Existential crisis is uh, what we uh, all know and love around here. So. Yes. <laughs> it's great fun. <laughs> Unless you're Casey, if you're lucky enough to be Casey, you just fizzle out and stop giving a shit and you move on with your life. I was cold Turkey. <laughs> my, my give a hoots broken. I think that's a country song. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I am really curious to hear your story because I, you know, I've seen your Instagram posts and stuff where you you talk about some of the pieces of it and everything. But give us your background. Um, we're dying to hear about Mormonism. We're, oh we're my fascinated goodness. by it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I never know where to start with this story, but I guess uh, I always start with. Um, I was born and raised in the Mormon church. So I'm a multi-generational Mormon, meaning that my ancestors were Mormon pioneers that pulled handcarts across the plains and uh, settled the Salt Lake Valley. And the wow, uh, yeah, yeah, legit. Do you know much of like where where did they migrate from? Um, mostly the Illinois uh, area. Is where they came from. That was kind of like last stand of Joseph Smith somewhere over there, right? Or is it like yeah. Springfield, Missouri or something? Yep, exactly. Did, is that a thing? Is that like, because you mentioned being multi-generational Mormon. And when we talked to a uh, guest a uh, good few weeks back now, but uh, Brad Harker, who's Mormon, he talked about how many generations his family goes back into the Mormon church. Is that something that, people really generally talk about a good bit. Is that important? I would say it definitely is. It's definitely a pride thing. Like to say yeah. that like, Oh, I, you know, my entire family chain back to the church's founding is Mormons is like a really big deal. Um, the plus just growing up in Northern Utah, you know, it was Mormons that settled that whole area. Uh, obviously, or I guess colonized it, let's say awkward. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) that's something I'm like still rectifying with. I'm like, so it wasn't just like blank wilderness that they wandered into. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Funny how that works across the country. But yeah, it definitely was a sense of pride. And it's also a lot of pressure because you're taught as a Mormon, especially if you're, if you come from a multi-generational family that it's kind of like this, you're a link in a chain and you don't want to break that link because yeah. you know, your ancestors sacrificed so much for you to be here and your posterity is counting on you and, and all of this stuff. So there's just, there's a lot of elements to having um, that genealogy. Like it's not just, it's not faith or religion at that point. It's also heritage. It is. And, and that's definitely one of the things that I'm still 
navigating having left because it's like how do you honor your ancestors that sacrificed so much and you know walked across half the country so that they could practice this religion and yet here i am being like "Eh, this isn't for me (laughs) it's it's hard yeah it's funny because i have never and it has must have a lot to do with the mindset that's instilled in you from a younger age because i've never once considered my lineage or my ancestors and how they'd feel about any of my decisions and so that's, that's such an interesting dynamic to me yeah i think that it's i think that that it might be something that is relatively specific to mormonism you're very cognizant of where you fit in the history of Uh, the church and the history of the world because it's not just your family um, but you also when Mormons go to the temple they believe that they are doing work and performing ordinances and rituals for people that are dead that don't have bodies anymore so it's kind of this like huge like you're a part of this huge puzzle and your part and your role is so important on so many different levels because of that I feel like too we we just did an episode where we talked about uh, the gospel coalition. They put out this article talking about how persecuted they were because of a documentary, but like, you know, all of Christianity struggles with like that persecution complex, but Mormons actually were persecuted. It was like open season on Mormons for quite a few years. Well, it's interesting because, you know, History is written by the winners, so it's it's hard to know what really happened, but there were so many religions that came out of that, uh, you know, early to mid-1800s, and it's interesting to me that Mormonism seemed to be picked on, and really the only conclusion that I can come to as to why is polygamy. That's the biggest difference between Mormonism and like Seventh Day Adventism and like a lot of other churches that came out of that movement is polygamy. So I think they were persecuted, but persecuted might be the wrong word because when I think of persecution, I think of like unjust. And I'm not saying that those Mormons deserve to be driven out of their homes the way that they were, but at the same time, like if some 50 year old's trying to marry my 13 year old daughter and says he's called of God, I'm going to take issue with that. So I also don't blame the people that were like, we don't want these Mormons here. They're bad news. (laughs) Valid. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reasonable (laughs) stance to take. (laughs) So um, now were you central to like Salt Lake city there, the Mormon Mecca, or were you just in Utah in general? I grew up primarily about 20 minutes north of Salt Lake. So I was pretty close to Mormon Mecca. Uh, not Literally 98% of my graduating class were active Mormons. Um, everybody I knew was wow. Mormon. I mean, of course, I knew people that weren't Mormon. We didn't grow up on like a compound or anything like that. It's a common misconception. But the vast, vast majority of people that I was exposed to were Mormon or at least had been or knew the church uh, you know the basic tenets and stuff like that um it's just overwhelmingly entrenched in the culture in northern utah so one of i I remember the first time that i had been informed that it it was apparently this family would come to the church that i went to when i was younger and 
one of the guys that I knew and I was young, I was younger than 13. I know that I was probably like 11 or 12. And he was like, Oh, they're like, they're Mormon. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Um, at that time I was, I was a homeschooled kid who was kind of, uh, in a little bit of a bubble. So I hadn't been introduced to Mormonism. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And, and he was like, Oh, it's basically a cult. And I was like, okay. And, (laughs) but that is the, I feel like that's kind of a narrative, not just unique to that person, uh, that I, I grew up hearing that, um, for the most part, uh, with little exception. So, of course, now leaving evangelical Christianity, you look back on that and you're like, isn't that an interesting right. position to take when you share a lot of the same types of fundamentalist beliefs that result in a reasonable degree of harm for people? So I don't know. It, is that any criticism that you experienced? Did you hear that much? Did, was that like, I mean, you laughed at it. I don't know if that's something you've like, do people refer to it as a cult? Is that something that you've gotten yeah i mean there there is a lot of controversy around the c word as it were um (laughs) i don't know if i was ever directly told like hey you're in a cult when i was a practicing mormon i was called a blind follower a lot which i really resented and i will Mm. say i don't know yeah i don't i don't necessarily think that that is a generalization that's fair to call religious people blind followers of any religion um but the cult thing i didn't really hear until i left and it was it was kind of other ex-mormons that were like oh like you got out of the cult and it was probably two years after i left the church and left utah that i finally started to kind of come to terms with the c word and was like oh shit I'm pretty sure I wasn't a cult, actually. I studied um, Stephen Hassan's bite model. I yeah. read, a, yeah, I read a lot of books on cult behaviors. I watched a lot of documentaries and it just kind of hit me. And it, that was like a whole new phase of the deconstruction process for me, because it's one thing to leave a religion that you don't think is true. But to label it as a cult is something else entirely, because you don't want to admit that you were part of something that was harmful so i do definitely think it was a cult now i think that you can argue that there's a spectrum of cults and can oh, we argue absolutely. that yeah can we argue that scientology and 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 nexium and you know uh heaven's gate and jonestown can we argue that all of those are more harmful than mormonism i think an argument can be made but i guess if cults. you want yeah and, and <laughs> what is harm <laughs> And when you look at like fundamentalist Christianity, like I grew up in conservative evangelicalism. Some people just interchange that with fundamentalism, but there is a big difference between some of the fundamentalist Christian groups uh, that I would have been adjacent to uh, that compared to what I grew up in. And it's like, I don't, I don't actually, I don't look back on what I experienced and, and label it as there's probably cult like elements to it. It might depend on your family and how much you are going to face rejection for changing your mind about something. But as a whole, like it's definitely dependent on the area and the type of group and the type of theology. Cause it's a broad, I mean, Christianity is a broad like thing. It's not, it's a big umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. I get kind of irritated too, when people just slap the word cult on like anything that they don't like or don't understand or whatever, because I mean, 
most of the things that you're referring to when you call something a cult is like the mechanisms of control that they use. Mm -hmm. And they all, I mean, organized infrastructure of any sort has some of those mechanisms. And if you want to point them out and, and paint them nefariously, then you can. Some of them are. It just depends on who's in charge at the time. But I think the real important question here is, you know, we were hearing that on our end. Were you guys over there talking guff about us? <laughs> <laughs> I would say no. Uh, no. My attitude towards most other Christians was like, oh, they're so cute. Like, at least they're following Jesus. They kind of get it. <laughs> um. But I would absolutely look at Jehovah's Witnesses and be like, yo, they're in a cult. Like, should we tell them? Should we check on them? Are you guys okay over there? Which is so funny because now that I'm friends with a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses that have left, we're, there's so many parallels with Mormonism. And we're like, spoiler alert, we were all in cults. Dude, that's what's weird is like, Jehovah's Witness, I didn't really know a lot about it. And then I've recently oh, it's watched gnarly. a bunch of stuff. It is. It's <laughs> wild. And I feel like there's, so here's the problem. When you're not really closely associated with any sect of a religion, and you're only really seeing the splinter groups that make the news, you know, like if your only real interaction with Mormonism is like you watched a documentary about the FLDS, mm -hmm. it's really easy to just, you know, all of it's a cult and blah, 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 you know. Right. But uh, it does seem... Like some of the best cults come out of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness Church. <laughs> you guys have some doozies. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard to to come to terms with because I obviously, I mean, my whole family are still practicing Mormons. Many of my friends that, like you said, that's my heritage. So it's like it's hard to use that word to describe it. But again, like when you study cults and you look at the behaviors, Mormonism checks off every box. So it's really hard to argue with that it's not a cult. And obviously, I mean, sure, there are some cults out there that people are like, yeah, we're a cult member. But like most cults, you're not going to know that you're in a cult. That's kind of part yeah. of the mind game. What were some of the, when you started looking into it from the outside, what were some of the things that were the red flags uh, looking back in after you were on the outside? I think one of the biggest atrocities for me with the Mormon church is the illusion of agency, which agency is just really the blanket term Mormons use for free will. Um, you know, you're told that you have this God-given discernment of right and wrong. You're told that you have a choice, but it's not really a choice because when it's when it's displayed to you as, okay... You can choose option A and you can live with your family forever and you can have mansions in heaven and you can be happy and God will bless you. Or you can choose option B and be miserable forever, be separated from your family uh, and be wicked. Well, what are you going to choose when the choice yeah. <laughs> is displayed to you that way? Like, of course, no one is going to choose option B if they really believe the religion to be true. And there's so much control in Mormonism. And again, it's disguised as like agency and choice. But when the church dictates what you watch, um, who you date, when you date, who you marry, where you go, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, uh, what you wear, down to your very underwear, 
you can't tell me that there is not an element of control in that because it is. I have some friends and coworkers and stuff that are Mormons and like, you know, like the financial side of it is one of those that's it's such a two sided coin because, you know, it's very tightly controlled, at least in the ones that that the people I know are experience, you know, have experience with like, you, you know, you're turning over financial records and stuff to the church. So mm-hmm. they know that you're pitching in your fair share of tithe and stuff. But, you know, then uh, some of those same people, you know, they got sick or they got laid off or for some reason couldn't provide for their family, you know, through normal means. And like the the Mormon church stepped up, the local Mormon church stepped up and like paid their bills for them and things like that. And it's, it's hard to reckon with it. Like on the one hand, you're like, man, that is that is really invasive. But if the support system's there when you need it and it's functioning the way it's supposed to, it's hard to criticize that completely, you know? Well, I think the key phrase there is if it's functioning the way it's supposed to. I've seen both sides of tithing. Um, My dad served as a bishop for five years while I was growing up, which is essentially the local ecclesiastical leader over a group of Mormons, a congregation. And uh, I got to go with him to help, you know, low income families go grocery shopping and stuff like that. And it was our congregation tithing money that helped with that. So that was really cool for me to see that. Um, I gave 10% of my gross income to the Mormon church for 20 years. Gross. You were a gross income income. person. Mm -hmm. I remember those conversations. 10%. uh, Whether or not you tithed off the gross of the net. And uh, when I heard uh, that it was gross, I was very disappointed. I remember my family getting very animated during that discussion. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, when I was going through my divorce, I was a nanny. So I didn't have any like W-2 documented income. And uh, I was an emotional wreck going through my divorce. And so I went to my bishop, the the leader of my congregation, and he was like, well, let's get you into some counseling. And uh, so he set me up with the church counseling services, LDS family services, and paid for my counseling sessions. Well, uh, this bishop at one point kind of made a pass at me, like made a super inappropriate comment, touched my leg. Yeah. And I was like, you're making me uncomfortable. This is not okay. Uh, And I don't remember. It was pretty directly after that, that I got a phone call from LDS Family Services that said, um, yeah, this is your balance owed. It looks like Bishop so-and-so called us and, and the ward isn't going to be paying for your counseling services anymore. What? Whoa. And I was like, oh, I see. I only get to reap the benefits of tithing if I am submissive. So he even, so, he even like retroactively came after you. He did. Yes. The entire balance. And I mean... The poor chick on the phone, she had no idea the backstory of what was going on. And I was just like, no, 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 no. (laughs) And that was uh, that was kind of that all happened while I was kind of in the process of leaving. And I remember telling my family about it and them telling me I should give the bishop the benefit of the doubt. 
and just being like, you know, he's very socially awkward. I'm sure he didn't mean it like that. And I was like, I even kind of started to self gaslight and be like, did I, did I misread what happened? Did I misinterpret? Sure. Wow. And it's just so, because these are men that can't possibly be flawed because they're called of God. Right. And so that's when, I mean, things were already kind of falling apart spiritually for me at that point, but that was like a big nail in the coffin for me. Cause I was just like, this is no man of God and this is not okay. How how old are the two of you at that time? Oh, let's see. I was 28 and he was in his 60s. 60s? Yeah, the bishop was in his <laughs> 60s. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, well yuck. Um, <laughs> That's terrible. Well, why don't, I, I, I want to... Um, okay, we talked about early childhood and now we're kind of touching on divorce. I want to... Um, I want to back it up a little bit and I want to kind of get the timeline here a little bit. So you obviously got married in the Mormon church. You mm-hmm. didn't really have your crisis of faith till it sounds like around 28. Was it pretty, but were you in it involved and just coasted through it and had it a regular part of your life up until your mid to late twenties? Were you invested? I was very invested. Yes. I I would not say I coasted. I was like, I was all in. I say I like whole assed it. There was no half assing. It was whole assing <laughs> yeah. the Mormon church. Um, marriage is a huge component of being a Mormon, especially as a woman. Like you are taught. I, I remember being four and five years old and being taught like when you are a wife, when you are a mom, not if, when. So it is just drilled into you that like your divine destiny is to be someone's wife and be someone's mom. So getting married is like priority one. So I married a childhood friend. Uh, We were not compatible. (laughs) We had known each other for a very long time, but we were not compatible. We were 21 for crying out loud. Certainly not ready to be anybody's husband and wife. Um, And we kind of just like stumbled through our marriage and um, we were horrible spouses to each other. We were very, very toxic for each other. There was a point where um, my husband had had an affair and we had gone to our bishop for help, essentially, because um, that's considered a serious sin, obviously. So my husband had to uh, confess it to the bishop and go through the repentance process. And I was like somewhat involved, but not very involved. I didn't really have a say in anything, but uh, the bishop gave me, I asked for a blessing from the bishop. So the laying on of hands, a priesthood blessing, right? And the bishop said in this blessing, uh, and, you know, he's talking on behalf of God to me. And he says, you know, you and your husband, you have children rooting for you beyond the veil, waiting to come to earth in this marriage. And I remember just being like, oh, okay that I any doubt I had in my mind of whether this marriage is going to work. God just told me we have kids waiting. This this is it. So stayed in the marriage. And then uh, about two years after that, my husband came to me and was like, hey, so we're getting a divorce. And I was like, "Okay, but remember, like we have kids waiting for us. So that's not part of the plan. And uh, my husband says, well, Actually, God prompted me to pray about it. And I asked him if I should divorce you. And God said, yes, I should divorce you. And I was like, Hmm. 
why is God sending mixed signals? He told me I need to stay with you because we're going to have kids, but he's telling you that you have to divorce me. So either you're full of shit or God just cannot make up his mind on what to do with us. So that was kind of where things started to unravel for me. And I remember praying a lot because, I mean, hi, that's what you do when you're going through a crisis, right? And it always makes you feel better. right? Does it, though? Does it? <laughs> Not once. <laughs> yeah, and and I it's always hard for me to describe. I feel like my prayers were met not just with silence, but like nothingness. Like I felt nothing coming from the other end. And I just kept thinking like, okay, all, all of these Mormon narratives were running through my head of like, God will only give you what you can handle. He will answer prayers in his timing, not mine. He has all the answers. I don't have the answers. I just need to have faith. My faith is being tested and I will get through this. And he will he will answer me when it's the right time to answer me. But it's all very uh, familiar rhetoric. Right. But it became very frustrating to wait and to feel like you were being ignored by your creator, essentially. And I got extremely suicidal. Um, and ended up being hospitalized. And oh, wow. I mean, I was not just rock bottom. I think I was like the fungi that grows underneath rock bottom. It was bad. And still nothing from this divine being who's supposed to be, you know, the epitome of mercy and grace and love. And I'm not a parent, but I'm a very proud aunt. And I love the kids that I nannied like they're my own. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, if one of them was hurting and they cried out to me needing help, there is no way for any reason that I could ignore them if they needed my help. So why is my heavenly father ignoring me when I am in like the worst agony I've ever felt? It just like that cognitive dissonance was stifling. Yeah, so that's a lot to handle. That essentially was was the shelf-breaking moment, I guess we could call it. And then it was like the bishop incident and everything else kept like stacking up. And I was like, this is all bullshit. Like I have devoted my life to garbage. <laughs> Isn't that the hardest part is, well, I shouldn't say that's the hardest part. Obviously, you're talking about going through a divorce, uh, a rough marriage and having a very interesting counseling session so uh i don't know if but it the hard it's so hard to like go that long and you maybe you can recall something similar where you kind of push down some doubts along the way because coming to terms with the fact that you might have been wrong about something that you've invested so heavily into is so difficult yes i would say it's not as if that divorce was like the only point that I had ever had doubts or the only thing that had ever made me question my faith. Um, it certainly was the catalyst for me leaving, but there were a lot of things that kind of made me cock my head a little bit and be like, eh, is this what I think it is? I would say a huge factor for me in terms of doubt was the treatment of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, the Mormon church literally donated millions of dollars to push through proposition eight in California. I remember that. Yep. That happened when I was in college and I was actually volunteering for the Utah AIDS foundation at the time. 
And I just remember being like, how is it that my church that's supposed to be good and enlightening and uplifting can be so cruel to this group of people for simply existing, for wanting to exist and live their lives? That was a big, that was a big faith tester for me. But unfortunately, and selfishly, I fell back on the like, well, it doesn't really affect me. And God has all the answers. So he must know what he's doing. And it's all going to work out in the end, right? Um, Which I mean, I carry a lot of regret and shame for that mindset, because it's harmful. It's violent. I think yeah, yeah that's <laughs> yeah. We trying to make our a little bit podcast a little bit. <laughs> we uh, yeah. I mean, I talked about it already a bunch, but like I grew up in a very homophobic environment, and it was just reality. Like you just you you know, the older you get and the more people you meet, the more you start to go. Why is there this vitriol towards this group of people and? You know, it's just like so many other things that are vilified in the church and then, you know, and, and even if it's not the church, just in like very conservative, traditional environments that when you leave the nest and you start to get some experience, you realize like, I don't what I don't re- I don't even remember what this is all about. You know, I don't remember where this hate comes from anymore. Right. And it's just hard to stomach. Well, and especially when you. Mm- when you humanize the people of that community, like when I was, I was meeting people, I, my friends would come out to me and I was just like, I never felt right about saying like, you're being sinful and I cannot condone your lifestyle. Like I never felt right about that because I loved these people. I sincerely did. And I saw how much my belief system hurt them. And so I felt so conflicted. It was like this constant battle of like, well, I want to support them. I want to go to the Pride Festival. I want to volunteer at this place or, or, you know, just be there for them. But I feel like I can't because that crosses a line with my religion. So it's very refreshing to be on this side of it and not feel that conflict anymore. Did the, uh, so when you hit rock bottom and you had, you know, made an attempt to to end your life, you know, whatever that looked like. What was the church's response? Were they aware of it or was it something that you you kept them out of and did they offer any support or anything? Um it was kept relatively quiet at the time primarily because I was still on my husband's insurance. Our divorce wasn't finalized and I was so afraid of him finding out and kind of using it like weaponizing it against me. So we kept it very, very quiet. Um, I think it was my dad did tell my, my Bishop, the creeper Bishop, and he and I hadn't spoken. So I don't know if he really did anything. I still was seeing a counselor at LDS family services. She was like my age and she referred me to somebody else outside of LDS family services, which, um, I actually respect her a lot and appreciate that she did that because she basically said, this is outside of like what we're trained and prepared to deal with. So we need you to see someone that's, you know, well, very well versed in suicidality and, and recovery. Um, but outside of that, uh, no, 
the the bishop never reached out to me. I didn't really I didn't really hear anything else from my local church congregation. Yeah, he wasn't making hospital visits after uh, his yeah. unsuccessful hookup attempt. Right. <laughs> you just made it too awkward for him, you know? Yeah, shame on me. What was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that's super common in the world we came from is the, um, you know, if someone is talking about divorce or that comes up, there usually there's a, it's a really controversial thing. Um, it's obviously frowned upon, but there's always attempts to, and it sounds like you had this a little bit, attempts to reconcile, but it usually results in people, uh, either one or both of the parties no longer really being welcome in the church, depending on which one says they're trying to make it work or doesn't. Um, so with your husband saying, this is just how it's going to be, uh, we're getting a divorce. What was the church's reaction to that? Did they, were they still ex- accepting of him in the community? Would you have attended the same church at that point? Like, how does that work? And what do they do about that? Mm. Well, I think this, the answer is obviously going to depend on the individual. For me, um, the, the Mormon church doesn't look at divorce like a sin, like not like Catholicism or anything like that, but it is very complicated because there are two components to a Mormon marriage. There's the civil aspect. That's like the legality, right? the uh the normal part and then there's the spiritual aspect which is called a sealing like sealing an envelope the sealing means that you are eternally bound to this person and even if you get civilly divorced it does not break the sealing so when you get divorced in the mormon church you're still sealed to your spouse um that's gonna be awkward when you die right I am still sealed to my ex-husband. Like we're divorced. We are not legally bound to each other in any way. But the belief is that when we die, I will be his wife again and he can be sealed to other women, but I cannot be sealed to other men. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Kind of the Mormon loophole for polygamy now. Um, And again, afterlife, that's all. Right. They moved it it up 60 years or something. Right. So that was like another big question mark for me is I was just like okay so I go through the rest of my life alone and then I die and then my chance at heaven is going back to this guy that didn't want to be married to me while we were alive this makes no sense to me and I can get remarried to another Mormon but I have to fill out an application that goes to church headquarters I have to list out all my sins that I've ever committed and how they were. I'm dead serious. Like when I saw this application, I was like, <laughs> who is punking me? This cannot be real. It's take real. Take a number and stand in line at the yeah. uh, holy DMV. <laughs> this was literally, that was another factor. Cause I was just like, this is the God that knows my heart and knows me better than anyone. And I have to, fill out an application to not be eternally, you know, ball and chain to this douchebag that divorced me. Like this makes no sense. So (laughs) there was that. Um, He, my ex-husband actually was a employee for the church, the business side of the church. When we got divorced, I, our divorce was 
very uh, not amicable. So I don't really know what the reception was for him at work or in our local church community um, because I had moved and started going to a different congregation. I don't think there's like any sort of formal shunning or anything like that. But um, Mormons are very fluent in passive aggression. It's like... (laughs) So people were very, very good at like trying to get information on what happened and not being super subtle about it. And I mean, that's not just a Mormon thing. Let's be honest. Our culture does not know how to deal with divorce for as common as it is. Like people don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. It's awkward. It's horrible. So that's very true. Yeah. Sam, if you ever get divorced, I choose Jill. Okay. <laughs> Picking sides now. <laughs> it's funny because there is always a side picking. I mean, I know in the church as I grew up in, it was like, Whoever was the unrepentant one of it was the one who was like, yeah. well, you know, we're going to have to practice church discipline now and uh, no one's allowed to talk to you. If they see you in the grocery store, they should probably turn the other way. I don't right. know if they took it that far. Literally, I don't I'm sure everyone would be awkwardly cordial about it. But there's like that that feeling that you might be sinning just by interacting <laughs> with this person who refuses to admit that what they did was wrong. Yeah, well, I think a lot of assumptions are made, and I I know a lot of assumptions were made about me because I essentially left the church and got divorced, like, at the same time. So I'm sure I I moved 10 minutes away from where we lived when I was married, so I still saw all of the people from church at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the post office, and I mean if looks could kill right like people would just kind of like side eye me and be like oh, there's that hussy i wonder what happened <laughs> <laughs> so where does satanism fit into the picture satanism oh i just oh. I, I assumed <laughs> yeah <laughs> i am right, curious right, right. so i i describe myself as being like very invested in christianity and the church and stuff and a possible Satanist, yes. But, uh, you know, I was in that same boat growing up. But, you know, once I was out and I was looking back on it, I felt like I never really had like a spiritual experience or a spiritual connection to it. Where were you at on that spectrum? Did you feel like you had a spirit? Is there a spirituality that, that you had to leave behind or that you had to adapt? Or do you feel like that was all just it was duty and community for you? Oh, man, I love this question. Um, This is something I've actually thought about a lot because I definitely had spiritual experiences. I definitely had experiences that fortified my faith. um, Experiences even that are difficult for me to explain and rectify now. So that is kind of like a mind game when you leave of like, well, what was that? Right? Like, Am I leaving something that is true because those experiences felt real? And I think one thing that's really important for us to recognize is what happens in our brain when we have an emotional experience. And by emotional experience, I mean, you know, watching the end of Return of the King when Sam picks up Frodo and starts trekking up the mountain. Like, I see Jesus every single time. That part of the movie comes up. It is so touching. 
and it lights up that part of my brain and releases those chemicals and I feel all the warm and fuzzies, right? Now, that's a really stupid example, but you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I had those For same me, it ex- was when the atheist professor died at the end of God's Not Dead, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but we've all had those experiences and it doesn't, it can be in church, it can be at a friend's wedding, it can be listening to a song, it can be, you know. Kevin Sorbo. I got goosebumps <laughs> right now. <laughs> but I think. It's a dream, I don't know. I think that's what happens. I do. Like when we're invested in something and it elicits an emotional reaction, our brain does things and our body responds to that. So can I assign all of those experiences to, you know, feeling the spirit or feeling touched by God? Maybe. But because I've had those same types of experiences and feelings and emotional reactions in secular situations, I'm going to argue that that's my brain and that sometimes we can elicit those experiences just by feeling super strongly about something. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things our brains are always doing is I don't just think this personally. This is, you know, smart people can do this, but just you're always trying to make sense of things. You put stuff in boxes, you find patterns. And if you're in a situation and you have those experiences, you're naturally going to attribute it to whatever higher power you feel. Now, I mean, you talk to someone who doesn't really have a sense of spirituality and they, they'll get those experiences too. And they'll, they might even use similar language, like spiritual language to describe it in the way that they're connecting with something outside of themselves, uh, maybe in a way they connect with other people, but it's still like, you're still trying to attribute mean, And that's why I think what's funny about even the idea of meaning is like, like mean things have meaning based on us giving them meaning. So like, if that is a meaningful experience to you, like it's, you know, it's not like you're going to convince anybody else that there's any proof that like it, it quote unquote matters to anyone but you. And it doesn't really need to. Uh, I think one of the things that the religious communities often lack is letting people just internalize their own experience and not having to make it fit in those boxes to look like everybody else's uh, as opposed to just if what they're saying is true. Uh, Cause I, you know, I've shifted a bit in my life. I still have a sense of spirit. I don't know. I don't, it's hard to say I have a sense of spirituality because nine days out of 10, I don't feel like anything's going on out there. I don't really consider it that much, um, <laughs> I get you. but every once in a while I do get hit by something or something connects with me in a way where it, makes me feel like I'm maybe part of something. Um, And you almost want to say that it's like, it's the same experience. I think what's weird is it's the same exact feeling I used to get. It's just in a different place. Exactly. Exactly. You just label it different. Yeah. So I don't know if that could mean it's all bullshit or it could mean um, the way we try to, the box we wrap it in can be bullshit based on how damaging that box is. But what is okay open question for both of you but like what what is that feeling that you're talking about like is it a euphoria or some sort of sense of like just deep purpose or like what is it that that what does that feel like to you i would say yes it's euphoric i always call it the worms and fuzzies like it's that feeling that you get where you like you're almost like lightheaded but you're like this is really pleasant And I mean, if I 
could have an MRI or have some machine like hooked up to my brain, I guarantee you that's when like dopamine is just like pew, pew, pew. <laughs> so I imagine that's what it is because it's just that overwhelming feeling of like, this is rad. This is a rad experience. I'm feeling good right now. <laughs> I've only ever felt that when it's... like biting into a chili Southwest egg roll. Now that's spiritual. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> Yeah. I understand. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't understand. I've never had a chili. I've been to Chili's uh, not too many times at this point in my life. And Let me neither tell of you. those have been spiritual experiences. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it's a true religion. Is, yeah. Uh, uh, he'll take you to church. Absolutely. Appetizer sampler at Chili's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What's, what's it to you, It's Sam? funny because... For me, it, it, it can be that, you know, I've had like the euphoric sense, you know, even the last time I had that in a euphoric sense was at a show where it just, I don't know, it's, it's like, you know, everyone's there singing the same song and it all seems to mean something. Um, but in some way, like the world fades out and you're just kind of there by yourself, even though, you know, everybody's there. Um, but other times it's been like, I mean, I don't, it's weird to, I guess, talk about because I don't typically try to verbalize the experiences. Um, hence why I haven't actually talked about them yet. Uh, and even though we've discussed spiritual experiences a little bit, uh, but you know, the other one that comes to mind is I was just, I was, I used to have a long commute home from work and I was driving home and uh, it was related to music as it normally is. Hence why I think Christianity gravitates towards music to elicit those feelings out of people. Not that I think it's necessarily malicious, but I, I just started like sobbing like a baby for an, an, the entire drive home. Almost an hour. I couldn't stop just crying, but it didn't feel shitty. I wasn't sad. Um, it just was like, I don't really know how to explain it. And I just felt and it, you get home and you just I felt fine. Like it, and then you settle back into regular life. And I, I hold on to those little experiences you know, for a moment, but then they dissipate and you're like, I wonder if that was real. I wonder what happened. Maybe I just like, I don't know, drove through some parallel dimension and there we go for a moment. I'll <laughs> still be meaningless. Your, your Tyson but... <laughs> chicken fingers got an extra dose of hormones that day or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's what yeah. music was it? Um, it was, I was listening to chance the rapper. Okay. Okay. So I don't know. He's a prophet, apparently. <laughs> I, his music's been, I've liked it. It's done a lot for me, I guess. <laughs> but, so, I mean, the show, but the show that it was at where I got that similar feeling was um, the Wonder Years show. Oh, they're Pennsylvania. I don't know if you know. <laughs> I heard, I've heard the name. I don't know that I've ever really listened to. Yeah. The So, okay. So faith starts to, fall apart or get taken apart at that point where you're hitting rock bottom, you're going through all this different stuff. It's, it's a weird thing, like picking up your faith and like setting it aside. To me, there was a lot of relief in it, but I didn't have all the things going on that you did. Like, what was that like for you? Was it comforting or was it terrifying? Uh, both. It it was both. It was a relief um, because I I don't think that I had realized how much shame and pressure and self-loathing was and perfectionism 
was wrapped up in my religion and and my faith. Um, and I mean, there were it wasn't as simple as, oh, I don't believe this anymore. Right. There was a period mm -hmm. of like, I mean, if this is true and I walk away from it, I am risking everything. I am giving up everything. So I have to be sure. So there was a period of like intense study and pondering and more prayer. Cause I was just like, I gotta, I gotta be sure. Um, but it was absolutely terrifying because being a Mormon and being a wife were basically the two biggest aspects of my identity. I didn't know who I was outside of those two things. So to leave them behind was devastating um, and simultaneously freeing. But there was this moment of like, okay, now what? Like, now what do I do that I don't have these things to define me? Um, and that's that's when I decided to move 2,000 miles away because I was like, I have to figure this out. I have to figure out who I am. I have to figure out like what this new identity is, what I like, what I don't like, what I believe, what I don't believe, what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down. So it was this whole period of absolute terror and freedom all at the same time. So when did you finally hang up the pair of Mormon underwear for the very last time? <laughs> uh, I don't know the exact date, but it was after. It's interesting because... Mormon church history and the study of Joseph Smith are shelf breakers for a lot of people. And those really weren't even factors for me. Um, what I did do oh, yeah. was I, I read the book of Mormon again, um, cover to cover, prayed about it, waited, nothing happened, prayed again, waited, nothing happened. I read the Mormon King James version of the Bible next to I want to say the new American translation, a different translation. I read them side by side, cover to cover. And the differences were insane to me. Uh, the Mormon version no of King. Yeah. The Mormon version of the King James Bible conveniently leaves out anything that contradicts Mormon doctrine. Makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Who that had to was... put together that crazy, like Mad Lib. <laughs> right. <laughs> Joseph Smith. Um, it's hard enough when you have a Bible that contradicts itself through the entire thing. Throw another book in the mix. Right. <laughs> You're really fucked. So, because uh, I get asked a lot, like, well, why did you leave a belief in God? Like, why couldn't you just leave the belief of Mormon God and, like, find, you know, the biblical God, the Christian God, the right God, right? Be Baptist. Right. And so <laughs> I really did give that a lot of thought and and prayer. And they're just it just wasn't the right fit. It's hard to explain. But I was just like this, whatever it is for me, this isn't it. It's not this, you know, floating uh, guy in the sky that I've always thought it was. It's just it doesn't fit my idea of what's out there anymore. So um, I guess it was the at the end of that process that I was like, I need to be done with this. And yeah, I imagine it's hard to restructure and reframe an entire concept. Like, you know, one of the things that's sticking out to me, um, and is that 
Mormonism seems to, when you talk about like the afterlife um, and all this, like these people are tied together and, and you talk about an anthropomorphized view of God, it feels like not that the Christianity I came from doesn't do this in a lot of ways, uh, but it, it definitely feels like there's a much heavier emphasis on it being more physical, literal, um, anthropomorphic, like you're like relocating after you die and it's or something yes, and not so much like, uh, well, we don't like, there's a lot of time spent explaining what it is and how it works as opposed to like, not that like, it's, again, the world case and I grew up in would say things, uh, but they would generally refer to like things fairly metaphorically. Like when you would talk about like uh, mansions and have like I, a lot of people weren't like, I'm going to legitimately live in a mansion, but it, is there a more literalistic feeling to it? Like, is that, that is, is that fair to say? Is that, am I picking up on something or no? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and without, you know, diving too deep into the, into the doctrine and theology of Mormonism, um, heaven has categories. The afterlife is categorized and you are put in a category according to, you know, how righteous you were, what your membership with the church was, how active you were, et cetera, et cetera. And looking back now, I'm like, that seems kind of strange, isn't it? That this, how do you know that? That this life is like a tiny little blip of eternity and God's like, well, I'm determining like where you live and, and how you live and who you live with based off this teeny little blip in time. It's very odd. Um, but yes, there, there definitely is a, a physicality and there's like a, I don't know how strictly doctrinal it is, but there was like a joke when I was a Mormon that was just like, oh, like every time I do something good, my house in heaven gets a little bigger or, you know, like that's like, that's a real thing. Like you really do think that you guys have a much better point system than Christianity. <laughs> like yeah. we stay we, we away from on crowns. <laughs> yeah. Lame. Shit like that. We, we stay we away from specifics crown. unless we're talking about rules. Right. 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 <laughs> we don't want to trap like, ourselves too bad. I think that's the problem. We're like, we don't want to trap ourselves. If you make up all this stuff about heaven, then someone goes, where'd you hear that? And they're like, Oh fuck. Uh, well, you know, it's just a metaphor. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Mormonism has a loophole for everything. So, I mean, I think it's the Doctrine and Covenants, which was like scripture revealed to Joseph Smith that talks about like all the kingdoms of heaven. But I'm like, you'd think this would have been mentioned in the Bible. Like, don't you think Jesus would have like talked about this if this was like a thing? It's a Kinda big weird. part of the sales pitch, Jesus. <laughs> How are you going to close the deal, bro? <laughs> so, so did you end up, so it sounds like you ended up just kind of taking, just setting all of that spiritual belief in a God and all that stuff. You just kind of set it aside. Like just, it's not for you anymore. Mm. So I would say I left in 2017. I would say up until 2020 i wanted absolutely nothing to do with anything spiritual like don't invite me to a yoga class don't invite <laughs> me to your bible study i don't i don't want to read a tarot card i want i want nothing um and then with 2020 i think i started to like not be so defensive and prickly when it came to spirituality and i i don't know i i really i 
all I know is that I know nothing. Isn't that like an, a, a famous quote? And that's how I feel. It's like, I really don't know anything, but I'm also not afraid of spirituality anymore. I don't feel a visceral reaction to it. I just know that Christianity is not, not what fits for me. It ain't um, it. Yeah. I, I like to describe myself as optimistically agnostic. Like, I'm not going to say that there's nothing, but I'm also not going to define what it is. And I, I'm, I just can't get on board with it being like a dude for some reason. I don't know. That just doesn't feel right to me. You and I is are in God the same club. Dude? <laughs> <laughs> and the dude abides. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is God very much, I mean, he comes off that way in the world we grew up in, but is God very much masculine, masculine in Mormonism, but not just masculine, generally speaking, is God male? Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, I say we not me anymore. Um, Mormons refer to God almost primarily as heavenly father. So he, he is a, he, he is a father figure and, (laughs) Mormons do believe there is a heavenly mother. They do believe that that God has a wife. Really? Mhm. I hadn't heard that one. But she it's is not the never mentioned. No, no, that's 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 the Holy Ghost. There is a heavenly mother, but she is never mentioned in any scripture. She really plays no role in creation or in anything. Just like women in the church. It's great. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> No, really. Like I, I grew up learning that, like, oh, like Heavenly Father didn't want Heavenly Mother's name to be taken in vain. He doesn't want her to be involved for her protection. And I remember being like, "Well, Heavenly Father is such a good husband. Like that is so nice." And now I'm like, no, really, she is the allegory for women in the church. Like, yeah, you had babies. Your job is done. Please, please stand behind your man and and observe. Oh Heavenly Father I'm says, specific. Heavenly Mother can't speak unless spoken to. Heavenly Father <laughs> needs to know where Heavenly Mother is going before she goes there. Right. Heavenly Father needs Heavenly Mother to always follow him out of the door when leaving a building. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe it, but I see where it comes from. Right. <laughs> it, it's so weird that... Well, we were even talking about it a little bit before we started recording, but like the way that that women are pigeonholed in like this traditional, I don't even know if it's just Christian or if it's just religion in general as I don't know. It's there's so much of religion that's just super sexist and and always speaking as if women are second class or if there be, you know, they're always behind the the men in the group and is that itself just a mechanism for control that that's just been passed down through a lot of different like hierarchies over the years or is that like just a a an aspect of modern religion that will eventually burn off oh man i i don't know if i'm qualified to answer this question but um that's a really heavy question the more distance i have from my former faith, the more I see that everything intersects. And by everything, I mean, white supremacy. I mean, patriarchy. 
um, all of these systems of, of oppression overlap. And so I think that they are very much a tool for control. I think that it very much is intentional. Um, not for everyone. Maybe it's, you know, subconscious for some of us. And it's kind of like the cult thing. Because when I was Mormon and people would be like, don't you feel bad that you're a woman and you really have no say or anything? And I'm like, oh, excuse me, you do not know what you're talking about. The church values women. The The apostles say all the time that the church couldn't function without women. And I would just eat that up. Like every time church leadership would pat women on the head metaphorically, I would be like, see, they love us. They need us. But in reality, women have no voice in the Mormon church. You can't hold a leadership position. Everything that you do has to be approved and measured by men. So I back to your original point. I mean, if that's not control, what else do you call it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's it's it is. You know, it's obviously patriarchal society is just what's been just what's always been. Um, and it's so hard to know how much of it is used intentionally, but if religion is used as like a vehicle to keep that status quo, if, you know, I mean, you think of us as kids, like you don't know shit. You're just being told the same old things. And I, I would have said what you said, not even realizing how sexist it was. But like, of course, women are equal. They're just different. I said that shit all the fucking time. And it's, it doesn't, I, I, I believed it. I, I, because I didn't understand how a patriarchal society worked and I certainly wasn't not benefiting from it. And until you're like exposed to a different idea, there was no way for me to ever have known anything different. Um, right. Outside. I mean, you have those few people who have those moral intuitions that cause them to question. Uh, it's probably rarely men, uh, which is why there's a strong message that women should be quiet and it kind of helps keep things Nice and uh, steady, but it is, it's weird. Cause I, I mean, we, earlier we talked about homophobia and trying to come to terms with the hurt that we've caused and with just the way that we thought. So I, it's like, it feels chicken and egg kind of because religion has been around since the dawn of humanity. And so is patriarchal society. And right. I'm not sure, uh, but it is, we are at least now seeing, more pushback on it than we it's hard to know if it'll ever fully it's hard to know if it could ever fully dissipate especially as long as anyone's taking a literalistic approach to ancient writings probably not well and i don't want to discount progress that has been made but it, it is really terrifying not to get political here but to see like the laws that were just passed in Texas, the abortion laws, to see what's happening right. to Afghan women. Um, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. I can't uh I can't imagine, you know, being in Afghanistan and literally like burning your professional and educational accreditations because out of fear because you're afraid. And that's a reality for people right now. It's absolutely terrifying. So yes, we have made progress. Yes, it's awesome, but we're not done and it's not enough. Yeah. And it's not far enough and wide enough. It's like, is this feeling, you can get in a, I mean, I feel like my conversations are in generally progressive environments and bubbles. So you can feel like 
people are on the right path. But even still in this country, looking across it as a whole, like religion or not, you go to places where, I mean, look at the the women for Trump movement and things like that. And it's like, again, well, whatever, get political. It's like, it, it <laughs> that is strange. Even as someone who, like, even if I could remove, like remove myself from the feelings I have towards Trump, it's like, I, I take him out of the equation. And you're like, you still subscribe, like, they're subscribing to an ideology that like that traditional way of life. And that the, you'll see it on their signs that, you know, we want to go back to the way things were. And yeah. it is, that's it, so, it's so interesting to me because it's not that you can't choose that life. If that's not that you, if you want your, if your husband's going to work 70 hours a week and you're going to stay home and raise the kids and you've, but it should be a choice uh, and you shouldn't. We, so this idea of going back to that as though it's some sort of ideal norm when it's clearly, not what everybody wants. And like, so even having that conversation in this culture, in this country, uh, it's still a huge divide. We're not subjugating people in the way that we're seeing and people aren't fear, fearing for their lives like we're seeing in Afghanistan right now. But it it is easy to feel like we've moved further than we have in a lot of ways here too, depending on the environment that you place yourself in. Yeah, I, I agree. i I feel fortunate in a lot of ways for the progress that we have had because even from Mormon culture, it was very outside of the norm for me to, as a, as a single woman to move far away from everything I knew and everyone I knew alone and to live alone. <laughs> like that was very, that was very strange. Um, and I think people here in Pennsylvania don't really look at it twice but in utah it was like now you're doing what why why would you want to do that why are you not prioritizing finding husband number two like that should be that should be your priority so like they treat you like a little kid at a grocery store that wandered away from its mom basically here do you need us to page your husband yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's something else yeah i I i'm wondering if uh I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, you go, Casey. Don't, don't. I'm interrupting you now. You go. Well, I was just going to say how you described like your current state and attitude towards spiritualism. I feel like uh, you and I are in the same club and we should start a church. We should (laughs) see what was your, what was your term that you used for yourself? Optimistically agnostic. Okay. See, I describe myself as an apathetic agnostic. (laughs) <laughs> and that's not t-shirts. Want to be bothered. i love it <laughs> i i do too i i think we got the beginnings of a movement here and we just have to like <laughs> set up you know what is a church if it doesn't have rules you and i need to really mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. out what these rules are going to be and the what sort of be- will be chili southwest egg rolls every week oh that's, that's communion this is meant to be this is divine inspiration this is how <laughs> i mean baby who really cares <laughs> You just dismissed that pretty hard. <laughs> Wait a second. I think I'm on to something here. Yeah. Uh, let me consult my tablets in my hat here. <laughs> oh, God. It's amazing. <laughs> so I'm curious as to like, I, I struggled with just being really angry after I finally like put it down. I was a big relief to put it down, but then I was angered by the culture that I still hadn't really like removed myself from 
mentally, you know, and eventually like I've, I've, it's taken some time, but I've kind of like come to terms with some of that. And it doesn't like, it doesn't have that visceral reaction that you, that you talked about anymore. Like it did at the time. Um, I still, I just don't feel any sort of like pull towards any sort of spiritualism. Like when it starts to drift into that territory, I just, I, I can't, I don't care. I can't care. Like, where are you at with that? Because you're, you're not, you say you don't have the visceral angry reaction to it anymore. But like, are you to a point now where you're curious about other religions and spirituality and stuff? Or are you still kind of like, eh? I would say, first of all, the anger, super relatable. Um, and I think it comes in waves for sure. <laughs> but um, the word religion, like the organization of beliefs is still like, like no thank you um but spirituality i'm very open to and i find myself like exploring in a way that i've never been able to before and i i started with like all of the belief systems that i had a huge bias against so 2020 you know the the shutdowns covid i was like i have all this free time i'll read so what did i do i went and bought like all of the like satanist witchcraft wiccan like all the books i could find because i was like i've been scared of this my entire life like i've been told that this is evil and these people are horrible and um every like pagan or or wiccan or like satanist person that i met was like the nicest person So I was like, this just isn't like matching up with this narrative I had in my brain. Um, So I kind of dove into that and was just like, I'm just curious, like, what is it that makes these people tick? And do I ascribe to any of those belief systems? No, but I find myself just kind of creating this like cornucopia of different religions and being like, I'll take this. Like everything I was taught not to do, like you can't cherry pick religions. And I'm over here like, I will take this from Buddhism. (laughs) I will take this from Wicca. I would like this from Taoism. This is cool from the satanic temple. Like that's kind of where I'm at. It's just like, this is the gospel of Sharice and I will, I will live it and, and it will be great. And thus it is written. Thus it is done. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What's it? What's like the big, primary maxim from this book is it is it do it do it that wilt or something like that well that's like the central tenet the uh there's the satanic temple and then there's like actual satanists and they're very different so the satanic temple is like a political movement more than anything and i would say i ascribe more to that than i do like actual satanism because i don't retain a belief in the devil which that's obviously like, that's like Anton LaVey and yes, black mass and all that stuff. Right. Right. It's cosplay. Um, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's monster cosplay <laughs> and it looks like a ton of fun. And I'm glad you guys are having fun. It's just <laughs> totally going to shoot you guys this, this website. So you can at some point look at this because it's hysterical. I'm looking forward to the it. Satanic you're welcome. Oh, yeah. Ah, decent web design. Thank you. Hail the Dark Lord. <laughs> Hail Satan. So if you if you scroll down to the seven fundamental tenets, like on the Ooh. first page, 
Like though I totally agree with every single one of those. And these are nice. Okay, one so should one. strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Like I can get on board with that, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. I like that. Right? Caught up in the bureaucracy, do what's right. Right. That's a good one. Uh, three, one's body is inviolable. Invaluable. You guys, I can't be reading out loud. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing great. Subject I'm to one's own will alone. Okay, so autonomy. That's a yep. good concept. Yep. Four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. That that's the that's the big one there. I like that. Right. So uh, that's very much like the your freedom to swing your fist ends at my nose, sort of sort of speak. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Five beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care. Never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Uh, I get on board with that. Mm. That one I'm not big on. I'm not so sure that it's. I. What? I what about like... when mainstream science tries to cover up the water canopy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> it does feel like, to some degree, with the popular, like with science being so, so big in pop culture, there's like it, that. Literally, everybody now will just say. I mean, I saw the study the other day and then they'll just say something that supports their belief. And it's like, that's probably one of the hardest to follow, even when you're well-intentioned at this point. Yeah, I read it on the dailybugle.com. <laughs> it's written by Joseph Jameson or whatever. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson? J. Jonah yeah, Jameson, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> Be Spider-Man! <laughs> okay, six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Okay, another good one. I mean, we're we're six for six so far. But you, Christians would go. Christians would say, "How do you know you're fallible without uh, without the ultimate standard of God? Obviously, <laughs> that means God exists, and therefore, this is all a bunch of bullshit." Yeah, <laughs> this is not God breathed. You know. <laughs> That's I like even going back to number one, the Christian response that immediately came to me was, um, how do you know compassion and empathy without knowing Jesus your, Christ? Your, your morals and ethics savior? come from God. Yep. Whether you <laughs> no one was not. ever compassionate in Imperial China until the missionaries showed up. And you should know that. Absolutely. And no <laughs> one has ever done anything horrible in the name of God. Can you think no. of one instance? Not one. No not one. Except for, I was just rereading about the Children's Crusade recently, but that was a one-off, so I don't know. Exception? Exception? We was at I mean, a thrift store last weekend, and there was a like a series of audio tapes about like a a measured and fair view of the Crusades, written by a oh, Christian. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. No. Nope. Bold take. Nope. I love when people try to spin genocide as like, it was justified, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It looks bad on paper, but, you know, everybody there was actually pretty thankful for it. 
All right, last let's, one. Let's read number seven to figure out if we're full-blown Satanists or not. Let's do it. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in, in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word, which I take to mean like, hey, these are good ideas, but you know, uh, if your conscience tells you to contradict them, follow your conscience. Right. Yeah, or if you're, um, maybe I'm picking up something that's not being said here, but you, I, I, almost giving people the benefit of the doubt when their actions are in their compassion, their justice is better than even the words that they choose to say. Uh, oh, like that's deep. Getting a little mm-hmm. bit of that too, which is more, uh, dare I say, Christ-like <laughs> than Christians. <laughs> this is audio only, but it, for the listeners, I'm holding my nose right now. <laughs> and as well. well. So uh, you have officially uh, welcomed us into the Church of Satan now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did a little soul winning, or maybe it's it's opposites for Satanism, right? Maybe it's soul losing. Right. Well, <laughs> and I am a ginger, so that checks out as well. It, yeah, because that. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes, I'm connecting the dots. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you get a non-jewel in your uh, crown in unheaven <laughs> someday. <laughs> I think that just proves that, like, we make these assumptions about belief systems, and you know, I think for the most part, for the most part, people are just doing the best they can, the best they know how, but. Once we know better, we do have the obligation to do better. So there is yeah. that. Yeah, that's yep. downside, I guess. The, yeah, I remember uh, doing this exact same thing, like looking up the Church of Satan once I had internet access and felt uh, brave enough to do it. And I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't creepier. Right. You know what I mean? You're just like, no human sacrifices. <laughs> like and Great tattoo concepts. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much... It's like the first time you listen to Marilyn Manson after all the hype for years and years, and you're like, "This is it. This is this is what everyone was worried about." I was, yeah. I was hoping to be terrified right now. This is just this is just bad music. Yeah, <laughs> I felt that way about alcohol too. Yeah, <laughs> right. and, and weed. Yeah, I'm just like I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting to be struck by lightning or you know something horrible. Still here. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you haven't been, and uh, it's been a true pleasure talking to you, Sharice. All right, back at you. Thank you guys so much. This was this was so much fun. Yeah, this is great. I think we should. Um, well, let's. Uh, we should plug your stuff first. Yeah, where can people find you? Oh well, I'd be honored. You can find me pretty much anywhere by searching for the existential ginger. I'm I'm on uh, Instagram the most, Twitter, TikTok reluctantly. <laughs> uh facebook and that's the name of my podcast too perfect yeah can you tell us a little bit about your podcast yeah we're uh about to start season two season one was basically my delayed faith deconstruction i had a lot of guests on um all different religions we talked about you know all all the stuff that comes with leaving religions and and all the mess and um, season two, I'm looking forward to kind of revisiting 
some topics through a new lens. Um, and my first episode for season two is actually going to be about my Mormon pioneer heritage. So that'll be fun. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that subject. So I'm excited to hear that. Well, again, it's been great meeting you. It's been great talking to you. Uh, thank you for coming. And for everybody listening, we will catch you next time. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.